0: The book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles open and you are able, uh, please may you turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 30. If you're able to stand, stand for the reading of God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that is full of life and truth. Lord, we ask that you would now soften our hearts to receive this gospel seed, that it would result in um, much fruit in our lives and in the lives of our our church, that you would uh, bless now the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit, and we pray this all that Christ would be glorified. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you are familiar with uh, church history, you assume, even if you're not a church history buff, I assume you would be familiar with John Calvin. He was the the great 16th century reformer of Geneva. But few know about one of his closest friends and allies, a fellow reformer named Pierre Viret. And he happens to be a relative of mine, distant relative through my mom's side, just saying. Um, and through Viret's preaching, the town of Lausanne, it's about 50 kilometers up Lake Geneva from, from uh, the town of Geneva in, in French-speaking Switzerland. Uh, Lausanne was won over to the gospel during the Reformation in the 1530s through the ministry of Viret. Now, he he didn't have an easy life. In fact, he uh, faced a lot of opposition from his fellow countrymen. Um, One day, he was going about his business, traveling on a road, and a um, Roman Catholic monk wielding a sword came and slashed him up, tried to kill him. And he left him on the side of the road to die. Mercifully, he... He survived, but then not long after that, somebody gave him a bowl of spinach soup, which was poisoned, and that nearly killed him. And, but he survived mercifully, but he lived in constant pain for the rest of his life because of that poisoning. And Viret, he devoted his life to the preaching of the gospel, specifically in French-speaking Switzerland and also later in in southern France. And despite enduring incredible suffering and persecution and and opposition, he was known as the angel of the reformation or the the smiling reformer because of his, his graciousness and his winsomeness. And his humility. Now these days, even the thought of making such sacrifices and enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel is not something most of us tend towards. We're much more inclined to pursue a comfortable life, to ensure that we are Financially secure, and to try our best to avoid suffering. Those are just our our tendencies here, in in especially in Western culture. And perhaps this is epitomised through the prosperity gospel teaching, which which really plagues our context here in, in South Africa. But if we look back at church history and and indeed the the, the scriptures themselves, what we see is that those people who have really made a difference for the Lord have denied themselves and have lived incredibly sacrificial lives. Now, As you know, this morning we're back in Philippians after a a four-week break. And our text this morning focuses on two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, when we were in Philippians 1, we heard about Paul's opponents. Now, these were fellow brothers in Christ, um, but they had wrong motives. they, They were selfish. They were focused on advancing their own interests. They they deliberately opposed Paul. Um, they were more interested in, in their personal ambitions and and wanted to to thwart the influence of of, of the apostle Paul in, in his ministry in in those days. Now, in great contrast to those guys, Paul draws our attention this morning to two men who these two men who he's discipled, and and these are, are true servants. Of Christ, whom he's going to send to minister to the Philippian church whom he's addressing. And so, what we're going to see in looking at, at both these men this morning is that they are for us gospel role models. Both we're going to see sacri- sacrificed and, and, and suffered much for Christ, but ultimately, what we're going to see through these two men is that both of them point us to Jesus Christ himself who is our true suffering servant. So let's get into it. And first off, let's have a look at Timothy. So from verse 19. Now, I know we, we, um, we preached through one Timothy, some I think maybe last year. So we, hopefully many of us are familiar um, who Timothy is. He was Paul's main protege. Um, he had been raised a, a Christian, having a believing Jewish mother and, and a Greek father. And Paul had discipled him from a young age. And in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, he calls Timothy his true son in the faith. I and mean, he also calls him his, his, his son here in, in this text. And so Timothy was, was with Paul and Silas when Excuse me, when they arrived at Philippi to plant the church um, back in, in Acts 16. And, and now, years later, now the church in Philippi is, is going. Um, Timothy is familiar with it. He was a part of the initial church planting team. Now he's in Rome with Paul, who's, who's in jail. And he's, he's encouraging Paul at the moment. But now, in verse 19, the text tells us, And he says, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So though Paul is languishing in jail, and he's in need of moral support from brothers like Timothy and Epaphroditus, well, he's planning to send both of them back to to Philippi. And specifically, he's planning to send Timothy back to, to Philippi because he, he wants to be encouraged by news from that church plant that he was involved in. So then he goes on to explain to the Philippians just how faithful Timothy is and how in, in, indeed he's a gospel role model, a, a true servant. And so he points out two things in particular about Timothy. And firstly, what we can see here is that Timothy has a pastor's heart. So from verses 20 to 21. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So now we must remember Paul is drawing a contrast between Timothy and Epaphroditus and his opponents. Okay, so in contrast to Paul's opponents, who they in ministry for selfish reasons, whether to make money or to gain fame or to thwart Paul's agenda, gospel agenda, or for them to pursue their own ambitions. And Paul then tells us here that those are are not the interests of Jesus Christ. And he says, well, Timothy, in contrast to, to to his opponents, Timothy's the real deal. He is genuinely concerned about serving the church. He cares deeply for the flock of God, the people of God in Philippi, and he has a pastor's heart. And that is the interest of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know this? Well, Christ is our good shepherd. He is our true pastor. And we know that Jesus loves his church. And in fact, he, he loves his church so much that he laid down his life for his sheep, as he told us in, in John 10, verse 12. And so what this means for us is that Christ's true servants are to have the same attitude as him when it comes to the church. A deep Sacrificial love for his church, a love and concern for God's people, a willingness to serve each other, to be there for each other, to put others' needs before our own, to commit ourselves to the local church. So, contrary, and this is so contrary to the self centeredness and individualism that we often find in our culture where, the, where there's more of a drive to have a private spirituality that is not rooted in the ministry of the local church, that is removed from um, being involved in the, the nitty-gritty of a church community where often we can rub up against each other and, and uh, sharpen our rough edges of each other and serve each other. So not only does does Timothy have a heart for the church, but he has proven character. And that's what verse 22 tells us. It says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now I think this is a symptom of our self-centered culture, that as soon as things get challenging, many give up. And it seems there's, I don't know if it's a generational thing these days, there's, there's, there's a, a lack of willingness to persevere. We l- tend to look for the path of, of, the, of least resistance. And perhaps the an expression of this in, in recent times is this trend that, that people tend to change jobs Um relatively quickly compared to previous generations. Where in the past, the, the, the general goal for people was to, to get into a career, to, get, to find a job and to, to persevere in that job, to prove your worth there. And, and perhaps we've brought this attitude into the church where there's a tendency for, for some Christians to just bounce from church to church. To never quite settle down or to, to want glory but, but not sacrifice and want to give up so soon when the going gets tough or willing to talk a good game but then nothing ever comes of it where words don't match our actions and what this, this reveals about us is a lack of substance, a lack of character. So Paul commends here Timothy's proven worth. And it's this is something about Timothy which actually the Philippians, they already know. Because he's already spent time ministering to them. So what is the nature of this proven worth? Well, it's from a Greek word that tells us that it, it's it's... Also means a demonstration of character, and it's telling us that Timothy is a man of integrity. He's a man of resolve. He doesn't just talk the talk, but he's proven himself through his actions. He's persevered through tough situations. He's committed to serve Christ and his church through thick and thin, and he's developed a reliable track record in the church. And so he's trustworthy. In fact, the, the Greek word that, that Paul has, has used for how Timothy has served with him in the ministry is from doulos. Okay, doulos means slave. So it's, this is not the attitude of being a slave, which text is, is telling us here. It's not the attitude of some celebrity pastor. It's not the attitude of some super apostle or, or someone who's there only when things are easy and convenient. Instead, the attitude of a slave is that he serves his king regardless of the circumstances. Well, frankly, because he's got no other option. So this brings us to our second character in the story here. That's Epaphroditus. So from verse 25. So not only is Paul going to send Timothy to the Philippian church soon, but he plans to send another one of his disciples, Epaphroditus, immediately. So who is this Epaphroditus? Well, verse 25 sheds a bit more light and says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. So there's evidence in this verse that tells us that he is a member of the Philippian church. Okay, Because Paul says, your messenger, Greek word there, apostolos. Okay, If we get the word apostle, but it's in this context, it doesn't mean apostle. It's got a wide, we call semantic range. It's just saying he's a messenger. Your messenger and your minister. So he belongs to the Philippian church. Hey, he is, and so he he's now, he's not in Philippi because he's with Paul in Rome. Because if we carry on reading to the, the end of Philippians, what we see in chapter 4, verse 19, is that the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Paul to comfort him in jail and to bring him a, a financial gift. Okay. So from Ep- Epaphroditus' name, we can see that he comes from a pagan background. The name Epaphroditus literally means upon Aphrodite. So his parents named him after the pagan goddess of love. And so it would have been done as a form of, of superstitious Protection. Oh, let's name our kid after this god and this all this, this goddess, and so this goddess is going to look after him all his life, going to protect him. Something probably something like wearing a Saint Christopher necklace all your life, thinking that you're going to be protected. Okay, so he's from a pagan background. Obviously, the Lord saved him. He's a part of the church now. He's a Christian. So in Epaphroditus, we have another gospel role model to look at, like Timothy. So there are two things that shine out for us from the following verses. Firstly, a simile like Timothy, Epaphroditus is a servant pastor. In verses 25-26, Paul calls him my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, we can observe with Paul and his relationship with both Timothy and Epaphroditus is that there's a level of affection that he has with both of them. Hey, for, for Timothy, Timothy he sees as his own son. Epaphroditus, he sees as his brother. So we assume Timothy was much younger. Epaphroditus was probably similar age to Paul, but older. And so what this reveals to us it reveals us the importance of relationships and connection in the church and in the midst of of gospel ministry. So contrast to to the self-centeredness of Paul's opponents and especially, what I said, strong individualism of of our culture, Epaphroditus was was more than someone who just did ministry with Paul. He was more than sort of just an impersonal number For Paul, they were brothers in arms, they were brothers in Christ. And through that, they shared a deep trust, a deep friendship, um, a love between them. They they had each other's backs. And so it was this shared brotherhood that provided the foundation for fruitful ministry. Okay, but we see that not only is are, are they brothers. But the the text carries on and describes, and Paul describes Epaphroditus as as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. So brotherhood is not just that they hung out together and smoked cigars and had a scotch. It was a bit more than that. They labored and they worked and they slogged together for the sake of the gospel. So their relationship was a foundation for the hard work. They weren't afraid of, of service, of, of hard work, of long hours, of, of, of sacrifices. But then we see it wasn't just about hard work and service, but the text continues. And it tells us that Epaphroditus was also a fellow soldier. Yeah, he was a fighter. He, together with Paul, they... Endured together the heat of the battle. They faced persecution together. They they faced beatings, imprisonment, rejection, many hardships for the sake of the gospel. And and that's the the characteristic of, of a soldier is that he is prepared to pay the price of battle. Pay the price of preaching the gospel and not shrink away from suffering, but face the trials head on, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of Christ. Now, verse twenty-six also shows that Epaphroditus, like Timothy, has a pastor's heart, and that he he longs for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Remember, he came from that church, so he has a strong connection with them. He's he's concerned for them. He cares for them because they have the text tells us here that they've heard that he's sick, and so they are worried about him, and he is kind of worried that they worried for him. So this brings us to to the second thing that we can observe about Epaphroditus is that he suffers for Christ. The verses 27 and 30. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So while Epaphroditus was traveling from Philippi to deliver these financial gifts to Paul in in, in Rome, it appears that he got seriously ill on this journey and that he nearly died. Now, for the whole text, it Paul mentions Epaphroditus' illness three times. And he tells us that he nearly died from this disease twice. So why is he harping on about it? Okay, well, he's deliberately emphasizing it for us. He's just saying, hey, guys, look here. This is important, what I'm trying to say. He's making a point. But what's his point about Epaphroditus' illness? Well, firstly, we can see that contra the prosperity gospel that we are very familiar with in our context, faithful Christians get sick and suffer. It is not something abnormal or unexpected. His sickness was not because of his lack of faith, wasn't because of some hidden sin, wasn't because he hadn't prayed enough, he hadn't had enough quiet times or whatever it is, it's just the fruit of this sin-cursed world. But thankfully, we see that God had mercy upon him and healed him. The second thing we can see here is that Epaphroditus got this grave sickness Precisely because of his faithfulness to Christ, it was verse thirty is explicit about this. Verse thirty says he nearly died for the work of Christ. Remember, he got sick while he was traveling to Rome. Yeah, while he was serving Christ's church through the delivery of. These gifts from the Philippian church to, to Paul in prison. So for us, brothers and sisters, we, we should not be surprised when we suffer serious trials as believers in Christ. Okay, this, they do not in any way mean that we are outside of the will of God or that we have some kind of a lack of faith or, or anything like that. Instead, we should be reminded from 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, which says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to put you to the test, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this should really shift our view of suffering when we experience it as Christians. And the reality is that we will. We do. It's an ordinary part of the Christian life. It's not a strange thing. But as Christians, we, we should endure suffering differently from how those with no hope Instead, we we should view our suffering, as the text tells us here, with joy. Because what this means is, is, like with Epaphroditus, we share in the sufferings of Christ. In that we, in the midst of our sufferings, we actually grow closer to Christ. Because what suffering does for us is that. It reminds us that they tend to cause us to rely on Jesus a lot more deeper than usual. And these are one of the ways. Suffering, pain is one of the ways which the Lord uses as a tool for our sanctification. To humble us. To make us less reliant on our flesh and more reliant on Christ and the power of His Spirit. So to bring this all together down to land, now the pull of our culture and, and indeed of, of our flesh is to pursue idols of comfort, of convenience, of our own happiness, pursuit of our personal ambitions and interests above all things. These, this, this is strong, I think, with all of us, if we are honest. The reality is that selflessness doesn't come naturally to us. And you know what? It's easy to call out the, the, the many prosperity gospel churches around us and their focus on health and wealth and happiness and, and, and all that. But perhaps deep in our hearts, we are not too far away from desiring those same things. But in stark contrast to all this, Timothy and Epaphroditus, what we have in them is our incredible gospel role models. They are true servant leaders who love Christ and his church and served his church sacrificially and who were prepared to suffer and pay a high price for the cause of the gospel. Now Christians throughout our past 2,000 year history, whether it be from the apostles, to the church fathers, to the reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Pierre Viret, they understood this truth about following Christ, that it necessarily leads to selflessness. And this is why Jesus proclaimed to us in Matthew 16, 24 to 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we see from these words of our Savior is that if you want to save your life, if you want to, in other words, pursue a life, a life of self-centered existence, life that is set on your own terms, life independent from God, Jesus tells us that if that is your heart, well, actually, ultimately, you're going to lose your life. Because if you pursue your own sins, if you pursue the pleasures of the flesh outside of Christ, you will ultimately reap destruction for all eternity. But these gospel role models, we must understand, were, were, were imperfect. Okay? Remember Timothy and Epaphroditus, as faithful as they were, they were also sinful men like you and me. But they point us to the perfect gospel role model, who's more than just a role model, and that is our suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. So while Timothy and Epaphroditus faithfully served the church and had a heart for God's people, Christ, our good shepherd, is our perfect pastor. And while Timothy and Epaphroditus suffered greatly for the gospel, Well, Christ Jesus endured the horror and torture of the cross and laid down his very life as a sacrifice for his church. So it's only Christ who's perfectly served God completely by obeying his will perfectly during his time here on earth and serving God to the point of death and death on a cross. And so there, as our good shepherd, he laid down his life for his people. He sacrificed his own life. He paid the debt for our sins, for our self-centeredness, our desire for independence, our craving for convenience at, at comfort at all costs. But he rose again on the third day, defeating sin, conquering death, and reconciling us to our Father. So brothers and sisters, friends, repent and trust in Christ. The suffering servant, know that in losing your life to Christ or trusting wholeheartedly in Him, this is the only way in which you will truly gain it. Trust in Him who by His Spirit transforms the selfish heart into a heart that selflessly serves Christ and His church. And trust in him who served you to the point of death and receive his free gift of grace, the redemption, forgiveness of your sins so that you can know him, that you can glorify him and enjoy him forever. Amen. Let's pray.